This is Hidden Wonders, a podcast that discovers hidden stories, details, and effects in the architecture of our everyday spaces at UCLA. I am your host, Savannah Tate. When discussing architecture, we often focus on impressive buildings and monuments, but there is a crucial element between the lines, an element that weaves multiple structures into a balanced whole. It makes up its own field of study at UCLA Extension. It's called landscape architecture. Landscape architecture really deals with everything outside of buildings. Uh, and that includes streets, it includes parks, it includes uh, all sorts of public infrastructure, so it's not limited to plants. A lot of people think that landscape architecture is just about plant materials, but it's actually about space, about uh, public interaction. This is Francisco Bear. I'm an instructor in the landscape architecture program at UCLA Extension. I spoke to Bear about the Franklin D. Murphy Sculpture Garden as an example of landscape architecture. Located on the northern tip of campus, the garden was dedicated in 1967 by Chancellor Franklin Murphy and designed by Ralph Cornell. Cornell also designed the majority of UCLA's landscape. Cornell passed away in 1972, so we instead talked to Cindy Burlingham, the Director of Curatorial Affairs at the Hammer Museum. She wrote the most comprehensive publication on the Sculpture Garden, called the Franklin D. Murphy Sculpture Garden at UCLA. Burlingham provided insight into the garden's history, She said that the site was originally a parking lot, but Murphy and Cornell discussed creating an outdoor space on campus where students could meet, read, and appreciate works of art. The resulting design offers three sections for visitors to experience, each with its own unique aesthetic. There's the one that everyone thinks of as the major part of the sculpture garden, and that's the rolling green hills, uh, grassy mounds. Then there's the long... uh, coral tree walkway that's really a a sort of more formal promenade and then there's the big park uh, plaza that's out in front of the Broad Center. So it has this kind of tripartite design that incorporates different aspects of landscape architecture into the entire garden plan. To understand these aspects Burlingham described, I spoke with Bear and Stephanie Landrigan, the director of the landscape architecture program at UCLA. We met inside the garden, where they highlighted its key elements of design. As a former museum designer, Landrigan said one important element for the sculpture garden is the sighting of the art. There's a lot of art that really is enhanced by being in an open space, so you have a large viewing platform. Uh, I used to work for a museum, so if you would hang it, you have a very limited viewing range. So outside is far better than in- inside just because of the use of space. Bear added that there is no better light than outside light to illuminate the sculpture. He said that he would also consider how the landscape could be used to edit noise. By noise, I mean visual noise, usually other things around that might distract from viewing the sculpture. If you walk around this particular sculpture garden here, you'll notice that a lot of the uh, planting in some areas kind of wraps behind the sculpture, with the intent being that you don't want to see it with, say, a, a building in the background that has a very busy facade. And so the landscape acts as a, as a, a screen. Bear said that the garden is deceiving in its simplicity. Although we may only perceive a collection of meandering paths and mounds of grass, the design shows an underlying discipline. The sculpture garden actually has the same artistic vocabulary that the sculptures have. In terms of the pathway designs and how they are laid out and the way the the landscape, the grass areas are cut up. If you were to fly over this in a helicopter, one of the things you notice is that the shapes of the contained planted areas are amoeba shaped, which was a very popular form in painting uh, in that particular period. And so the, that p- 
painting period actually influenced the planting and path design of the sculpture garden. Burlingham explained how the pathway design affects the visitor's experience. The way the sculpture garden is designed is it has five different entrances. The whole idea is that you are not sort of pushed in any particular way, uh, forced to experience in it in any particular way. I think that Ralph Cornell really designed it that way, that he didn't want um, to have something that sort of dictated your behavior. Landrigan added that these walkways also enhance the siding of the sculpture because they do not conform to the rigid paths of other parts of campus, such as by Powell Library and Royce Hall. Typically, you, you, you can make paths and they're usually rectilinear. When, when you do that, you have what we call paths of desire appear. People are gonna walk where they want to. But you don't really see the paths of desire here because I think the siding of the sculptures gives them a respect. You, you would think sculpture needs a little bit of space. So the paths almost work with you viewing it in sort of a choreographied way. Bear said that the assortment of trees was also carefully crafted. He noted the line of coral trees in front of McGowan Hall and compared them to a colonnade of a building. I think they, they were careful in selecting uh, significant, dramatic, almost monumental trees to uh, hold their own on the site and to uh, give it you know, a lot more gravitas, you know. The... Landrigan said that the selection of exotic plants, such as the coral and jacarinda trees, also reflects the plant ethos of the 60s. Gardens nowadays tend to use California native plants to conserve water. Designing with living elements is, is a, it's a very responsible form of design that you have to think about present and, and the future. Bear adds that this idea of sustainability is a current focus in landscape architecture. In today's landscape architecture, you see less and less uh, introduction of uh, exotics uh, in places, especially California, I think, where we've already faced this drought once, and now we, we're a lot more conscious of the fact that uh, uh, the plants know how to survive here, and uh, we need to use the ones that have learned to survive here. In the landscape architecture program at UCLA, students put these principles into action through immersive design projects with real clients. Right now we have one of our advanced design classes is working in downtown Los Angeles with the South Central Farmers. We're talking with those individuals as to how landscape architecture can work with urban farming in areas that might be appropriate. Bear said that he currently teaches a studio class about landscape design in urban environments. What we're doing right now is we're taking a look at the art district in downtown LA, but there's a, a very large budget to provide uh, pedestrian enhancements throughout that area. So we're going to be uh, utilizing some of that data to create um, similar improvements to that, but because it is an acad academic class, we're probably gonna look beyond that and, and look at uh, opportunities for uh, guiding uh, future growth. The other thing I, I try to teach them too is how to use uh, uh, new technologies. Uh, so uh, I encourage them to use things like computer modeling uh, so that they can better understand the spatial characteristics of their project. He said that for several students, landscape architecture is their second career, and their dedication impresses him. At a recent program reunion, alumni shared success stories from the field. Many of them are already principals in large firms, and they've done projects all over the world. In fact, one of our students, I believe, has done something like four or five hundred projects throughout the world for major uh, theme parks, but I think it's just a reflection of the fact that we're a very unique program. 
we serve a very unique student population and uh, uh, the results are incredible. So the next time you stroll around campus, take note of what lies between the buildings because its design affects your walking experience, whether you notice it or not. For Daily Bruin Radio, this is Savannah Tate. Join us next month for another episode of Hidden Wonders.